Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Four Vaginas Only. In this episode, we're going to be discussing ectopic pregnancies. We are going to jump right into it, but first, let's cue the music. Hello, and welcome to Four Vaginas Only, the podcast about everything female. I'm your host, Dr. Celestine, bringing you important information about understanding your health and body in the way you wish your doctor would actually explain it. All right, guys. So first things first, what is an ectopic pregnancy? So the general definition of an ectopic pregnancy is that it's a pregnancy outside of the uterus. So the uterus is the normal place where a healthy, good pregnancy resides, where the baby grows. Most people are aware of that. Um, And an ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy that's located anywhere outside of that little uterus home. Now, the most common location outside of the uterus for an ectopic pregnancy is the fallopian tube. The uterus has two tubes that come off the upper aspect of it, um, very small tubes on each side, and that's where the female egg actually usually meets the sperm in order to create a pregnancy, and sometimes it gets stuck within that fallopian tube and lays roots there and starts to grow there, and that's the most common location for an ectopic pregnancy. However, it can occur in other locations, such as just inside, kind of free-floating in your abdomen or your belly. It can also implant into the cervix, which is the lower part of the uterus. It can also implant on the ovary. And in those that have had C-sections in the past, it can even implant on the C-section scar, which kind of sounds like it's in the uterus, but if it's implanted on the actual prior scar where the doctor cut into your uterus to do your c-section that's also considered an ectopic pregnancy and a poor location for a pregnancy to grow okay now according to the centers for disease control and prevention or the cdc one to two percent of all pregnancies in the u.s are ectopic pregnancies so that's up to two out of every 100 pregnancies will actually be in ectopic pregnancies in the united states that is so i would put that about average in terms of how often we see it sometimes in my everyday practice i'll go through like let's say one night of being on call and i'll get like two or three ectopic pregnancies in a row that night that i have to do surgery on or manage in some way And then I'll go weeks or months without even seeing an ectopic pregnancy, and it kind of goes on like that. So I would say that 1-2% to of all pregnancies being ectopic kind of fits the bill um, in terms of what I see every day. So it's not that common, but it happens a fair amount. Now the reason why this is important, ectopic pregnancies can kill, okay? They are life-threatening. So if your pregnancy is not in its happy little home in the right spot in the uterus, if it's literally anywhere else, um, we have to do something to manage it. And I know that's hard for a lot of people because some have been trying for a long time or are just very excited to have a child and ready for a child. And then we tell them, yeah, you're pregnant, but it's not in the right spot, so we have to get rid of it. Um, and that's hard to hear. I completely understand that. But it's it can kill you. This is what I tell people. If the pregnancy is not in the right spot, if it's not growing in the correct location, um, bad, bad things can happen. So we have to manage it so that you can go on to try to then have a normal pregnancy afterwards. Now, briefly, I'm going to mention there's something that we can also see that's called a heterotopic pregnancy. That's H-E-T-E-R-O-T. 
O-P-I-C. Sorry, I had to sniffle in there. Heterotopic pregnancy. Now, that's even more rare, so that's why I'm just touching on it very briefly. Now, this is a pregnancy where you do have a normal pregnancy in the uterus, but you also have an ectopic pregnancy. Now, it's so rare that, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen it in my one, two, three, four, my like almost nine years of practicing. The statistics say it's about one in every 4,000. I mean, this is the widest range ever, right? So one in every 4,000 to one in every 30,000 pregnancies, you might see a heterotopic pregnancy. Now, I'm going to knock on wood here because I've never seen it and I don't really want to because that's very difficult to manage. Um, but that's for another day. But just in case anybody's ever had one and you're wondering why I'm not mentioning it, there it is. It's very, very rare. And if you do encounter that, have long, deep conversations with your doctor about how to manage it. And we'll just continue this little podcast episode on the regular old ectopic pregnancy. All right. So what puts you at risk? You have an ectopic pregnancy or you've had an ectopic pregnancy in the past and you're wondering, why the hell did this happen to me? So unfortunately, (laughs) about half of the people that have had ectopic pregnancies, there's no clear reason as to why it's happened, okay? There's no thing that we can say that if you did this differently, you wouldn't have one, or if you didn't do this in the past, it wouldn't have occurred. About half the people, we don't know a reason. So that's unfortunate, but... In a way, in my mind, that kind of means that, you know, if once we manage the atopic pregnancy, you have a pretty good chance of having a normal pregnancy location after that. But we'll get into the specifics of that in a little bit. Now, some other risk factors. If you've had a prior ectopic pregnancy, unfortunately, even if we don't know why, if you've had a prior ectopic pregnancy, one prior ectopic, it puts you at a 10% risk of having an ectopic pregnancy the next time that you get pregnant. Another risk factor is if you've had a previous infection in your pelvis. So a pelvic infection, one of the most common is pelvic inflammatory disease or PID, which is most commonly caused by the STDs, chlamydia, and gonorrhea. According to the CDC, up to 15% of people with a history of chlamydia end up having PID, and a smaller percentage of those people end up going on to have some infertility issues due to different factors. One, just having the inflammation from the the infection in your abdomen. Um, also, sometimes I see that the fallopian tubes, those tubes that we talked about, that was the most common location for an ectopic pregnancy, they're supposed to be free-flowing. The egg, the sperm meet, they travel down, they go into the uterus, but sometimes these pelvic infections can scar the tubes and either cause them to be blocked completely or cause the pregnancy to get stuck in the tube in some, in one or two different locations, wherever the scarring may be. A, another risk factor for ectopic pregnancy is anybody that's going through infertility treatments, um, such as IVF, especially if it's done for a tubal factor or if you have multiple embryos transferred, you can have a risk of having an ectopic pregnancy. Luckily, that's really, really, really low. According to um, ASRM, which is the governing body for a lot of the reproductive um, physicians out there, it's about a 2% chance of that happening if you go through some sort of reproductive treatments to get pregnant. So it is low, which is good, but it is still listed as a risk factor. Also, if you're a smoker, smoking, we know, can decrease 
or actually smoking causes a lot of problems, okay? <laughs> I always tell people, stop smoking. If the first thing you want to do, if you're having a hard time doing anything, the first thing you need to do is stop smoking. It just causes, it's horrible. Smoking is horrible. It causes many different problems in the human body. And this is one of them. Um, the thought is that it decreases the movement of the egg and sperm within the fallopian tubes, which causes it to get stuck and can lead to an ectopic pregnancy. That's one theory. Okay, but smoking in general is bad. <laughs> I don't advise it for anything. The next risk factor for an ectopic pregnancy is having an intrauterine device in place. So if you have a Mirena, Skyla, Liletta, um, Copper IUD, the Paragard, any of those IUDs. Now, this is what I really, I want to make this clear. Very, very clear. So overall, if you have an IUD in place, you have a much, much, much lower chance of getting pregnant than anybody else who's using any type of birth control or not using any type of birth control. But if you do somehow, some way, get pregnant and you have an IUD in place, there is a very high chance that that pregnancy will be ectopic, meaning not in the right location, meaning not in the uterus, okay? Now, I want to make it clear that an IUD does not lead to an ectopic pregnancy. It's actually a great birth control. I love IUDs in general, and they work great. Overall, almost nobody gets pregnant on an IUD. Um, it can happen, yes, but it's such a low rate. It's much better if you're trying to prevent pregnancy than if you are using condoms or if you are using birth control pills or the patch or the NuvaRing. IUD actually has a higher success rate of preventing pregnancy than almost any other method. But if you do get pregnant with an IUD in place, um, then you have a higher chance of it being ectopic, if that makes sense. If anybody has any questions about that, please message me because I want to make that very, very clear that I'm still advocating for IUDs, but that this is sort of listed as a risk factor for ectopics. Moving on. <laughs> if you've had a prior tubal ligation, prior tubal surgery, even prior abdominal surgery, um, any scar tissue in the lower abdomen can block off the tubes or scar down the fallopian tubes that can lead to the pregnancy implanting in the wrong location. So those are some risk factors. There are a couple of more as well, but those are some of the main risk factors. When I talk to somebody in early pregnancy and I'm concerned for an ectopic, I ask certain questions so I can figure out if you fall into one of these risk categories that will make me a little bit more suspicious for an ectopic pregnancy than normal. All right, now overall, remember, even if you have these risk factors, it doesn't mean you're going to have an ectopic pregnancy. Up to only 2% of pregnancies in the U.S., like I mentioned before, are ectopic, so two out of every 100. So don't think that if you're doing one of these things or if you have one of these things that you will get an ectopic pregnancy. It just makes you a little bit higher of a risk for having one. Okay, so how do you know if you're having an ectopic pregnancy? It's not that easy. Usually what will happen is you will have pain in your lower abdomen. Some people feel that pain on one side of the lower abdomen or the other. And it can be associated with having some bleeding or spotting um, along with the pain. Now, I will tell you that sometimes people have the pain and no bleeding. Or sometimes people have the bleeding and no pain. Sometimes people have no symptoms whatsoever. But we find it um, in different ways, which I'll get to. But if you are looking out for it, if you're concerned for an ectopic pregnancy, pain in the lower part of the abdomen, 
plus or minus some bleeding early on in the pregnancy can be an indication for having an ectopic pregnancy, but it doesn't have to be, but just something to keep, keep an eye out for. Now, how does your doctor diagnose an ectopic pregnancy? So usually, and hopefully, it happens early on in the pregnancy where we have many different options to treat the ectopic and it doesn't become an emergency. Without getting too much into the specifics, we use a combination of things. Um, Blood work, looking at your pregnancy hormone, the human chorionic gonadotrophin, or HCG for short. Um, Also with ultrasounds as well. So we use a combination of blood work and ultrasounds to figure out where your pregnancy is located, how far along your pregnancy is, um, and if it's a healthy pregnancy or not in general. And there's different things that we see or don't see on that that makes us more suspicious for an ectopic pregnancy. I urge any patient out there that is concerned about ectopic pregnancy to talk about their talk about it with their doctors very early on in their pregnancy, especially if you have some of these risk factors, especially if you've had an ectopic pregnancy in the past. But if you're wanting to know specifically how your doctor diagnoses the ectopic pregnancy, I urge you to talk to your specific physician about how they go about that. I just want to give you a general idea of those are the two things that we use and we put them together. Sometimes it takes a few days, sometimes it takes a couple weeks for us to make a decision as to where the pregnancy is located. But with that being said, it's very important to follow the plan that your doctor puts in place because like I said, ectopic pregnancies can be life-threatening for you. That's why when we put these plans in place, we trust you to follow them. We trust you to keep track of your symptoms um, and talk to us about everything you're experiencing so that we can manage it appropriately and we don't risk your life. All right. So all in all, we've talked about what it is. We talked about what puts you at risk for having one. We touched on how a doctor may diagnose it. We talked about the symptoms you might feel with an ectopic pregnancy. So let's get down to some of the treatments. All right, so an ectopic pregnancy in general can be treated in three ways. Now, the first of the three ways is medically, using medicine. The medicine that we use most commonly to treat ectopic pregnancy is a medicine called methotrexate. Sometimes we abbreviate it MTX for short. It's actually a cancer medication, and the thought is that you know, like cancer is rapidly dividing cells that are overgrowing faster than your normal cells. And that's similar to what a pregnancy does. The pregnancy um, usually is rapidly dividing cells to create a baby, to create a fetus. So the methotrexate, when we give it to treat an ectopic pregnancy, it basically puts a stop to that division and stops the pregnancy from growing. So methotrexate is great. Um, Certain statistics that I've read, it works anywhere between like 85 to 95% of the time, but it's only if it's used in the appropriate context. So there are certain cases where we can't give methotrexate. I know a lot of people don't want to go on to the other steps. Some people are wary of doing other things um, and they want to do methotrexate, but sometimes we just can't. Sometimes there's certain things like the pregnancy is too far along or your pregnancy hormone levels are too high where the risk of using methotrexate doesn't outweigh the benefits. So using methotrexate in certain situations like that is actually putting more harm to you and increasing the chance that the ectopic pregnancy won't get better with the medication and will actually lead to the life-threatening situation that we want to avoid. 
So overall, the way that we do it, methotrexate is an injection. It's sometimes we have to give it more than once in order for it to work. And you have to be very reliable and you have to keep in contact with your doctor because we have to follow your pregnancy hormone or your HCG levels pretty frequently to make sure that they're going down appropriately, which means that the ectopic pregnancy is actually being treated by the medication and not needing to move on to any other steps for treatment, if that makes sense. Uh, There are certain side effects to methotrexate, such as nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and even with methotrexate, although it works great a lot of the time, and even if we give it to you and it's indicated and you fall into the category of people that it usually works for, things can still happen. Um, The ectopic pregnancy can still what we call rupture, which means it kind of breaks open and starts to bleed into your belly. And that causes things like severe abdominal pain, lightheadedness, dizziness. And those are things to watch out for where we would need to do an emergency surgery. And that's what I talk about when I'm talking about the ectopic being life-threatening. Because it usually, it eventually, if it's not treated, Most of the time, it will outgrow wherever it's implanted. So let's say it's the fallopian tube. It's a very small tube. It doesn't expand like the uterus will. So it'll outgrow where it's located and burst open and start to bleed. And that's where the danger and ectopic pregnancies lie. So we have to keep a very close eye on you, even if we're giving you the methotrexate treatment, because there's a small chance that that can still happen, okay? But like I said, it works a lot of the time, and it's a great medication. I use it quite often, and I get pretty good results. Now, some people come and we diagnose an ectopic pregnancy. They don't want to do the methotrexate. They're fine. You know, you might feel no pain at all. We just know that we see it on the ultrasound, or we have a high suspicion that it's there. Your vital signs are good, blood pressure is good, you feel fine. But we have to still treat the ectopic pregnancy because it's growing somewhere where it doesn't belong. So the option number two for treatment is surgery. So if you're one of those people that's very, very stable, you know, we're not concerned about your well-being at the moment, which means that there's a good chance that the ectopic pregnancy has not bursted open or ruptured, and you don't want to do the methotrexate, we can do laparoscopy to treat the met- to treat the ectopic pregnancy. So laparoscopy is a type of surgery. So this is now falling into treatment category number two of surgery. And it's a minimally invasive surgery. We use small incisions into the abdomen. We put a camera in the belly, a couple of instruments into the belly. And we could treat the ectopic pregnancy one of two ways laparoscopically. We either open up the tube and just remove the ectopic pregnancy itself, which then requires once you're awake and back home, we still have to follow your pregnancy hormone or your HCG levels until they go down to negative, to zero. Or we can remove the entire tube altogether um, at one time, and we can do that laparoscopically with those small incisions as well. Now, I will say the studies out there that I have seen, please correct me, anybody that's listening to this, if I'm wrong to date, but the studies I've seen kind of are all over the place. Some studies show that there's no difference in whether or not a person can have a normal pregnancy afterwards if you either remove the whole entire tube or you just remove the pregnancy um, from the tube, the ectopic pregnancy. Some studies show that you have a higher chance of having a repeat ectopic pregnancy if you just remove the pregnancy out of the tube but leave the tube inside the patient. Um, And other studies show that you have a lower chance of having a normal pregnancy in the uterus 
if you remove the entire tube altogether with the pregnancy, the ectopic pregnancy inside of it. So I haven't seen anything definitive yet. And to be honest, what I basically follow as a rule is if you are completely symptom free and um, stable, as we call it in medicine, then I will try to remove the pregnancy alone out of the tube and keep your tube inside of you. That does require extra follow-up after the surgery, but if it can be done, it can be done. But if the tube looks damaged in any way or if you are bleeding quite a bit, then I will lean more towards removing the entire fallopian tube at once. Um, And that's kind of how I do it. The other way to do this surgery for an ectopic pregnancy is an open surgery, what we call a laparotomy. It's what I like to tell a lot of people, which they can kind of understand, is that it's more like a C-section incision. So it goes across the lower abdomen and we open up the belly instead of using the small cameras. Um, A lot of the times that type of surgery is reserved for people that have a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. So in the case where it becomes an emergency now, we need to get in there very quickly because you're bleeding very uh, fast and you're becoming unstable, meaning low blood pressure, dizziness, lightheadedness, heart palpitations, things like that cause us to think that we need to get in there much faster than doing it with the small cameras and instruments. Or if you have a lot of scarring in your belly. So if I know that you have had multiple surgeries in your belly, it's going to be way harder for me to do the procedure that I need to do with laparoscopy, then I will probably open up your belly and have direct access to the fallopian tube in the atopic pregnancy that way. I would say I've only done an open surgery for an ectopic pregnancy once in my entire career so far. Um, That's because she had a lot of blood in her belly and I thought I would not be able to see anything with the small cameras. But I've done it with bleeding and things like that with the small cameras before. I'm pretty good at that. So I'll always try to do that if I can. But sometimes opening up the belly with a laparotomy is indicated and we got to do what we got to do to save your life. So now the third treatment is observation. Now I will say I have almost never done observation. I've seen people do it, but I don't think I've ever done it. An observation just means watch and wait. Now, there is, I think the reason I've never done it is because there's only a small, small percent of people where this actually could work. I don't know the actual number, but I'm assuming it's very small because I've not, um, one time I've seen it work, maybe in the past almost nine years. And that's just, we watch you over time, close follow up. Get many labs on you, um, watch out for symptoms, and sometimes the ectopic pregnancy will resolve itself. What I've read is that usually this is only done if your pregnancy hormone is less than a thousand, and then that we see that it's dropping quickly. If it's rising for any reason, we're going to have to go in with one of the other treatments, okay? But I just thought I would mention that. It's not my favorite, to be honest. Um, I get a little nervous just even talking about it. But it is an option, so I'm putting it out there because this is for vaginas only and I try to give you guys all of the possible options that you can discuss with your doctor so that you can find out what is right for your situation. But like I said, even with the right treatment, even if we follow all the rules, sometimes your body and the ectopic pregnancy does not like to play nice with us. And 
we might still lead it might still lead to an emergency situation with a high amount of bleeding that's why it's very important to follow whatever plan you and your doctor have in place be very aware of your symptoms if you're having increasing abdominal pain um, you have to call your doctor right away at any point in your treatment and um, it's a sensitive situation until it finally resolves and we can move on and try to have a normal healthy pregnancy afterwards Now, real quick, I just want to touch on some of the emotional aspects of this. I kind of talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but I want to let everybody know that the emotional aspect is not lost on me. And I talk about things like, oh, you know, I go in and do this with the patient or blah, 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 you know, very medical. And, you know, I don't want to come off as sounding cold or sounding um, abrasive because I get it more than you know that this is an emotional process when you have you're trying to have a baby whether you got pregnant right away whether you've been trying for years whenever it happens something changes in our minds right we're ready for that baby we're ready for that child and no matter if you were pregnant for a day or you knew you were pregnant for a day a week a month six months whatever if you're losing that pregnancy it's emotional there's a grieving aspect to it which is normal some people need to seek counseling to talk to somebody about it even if it's family members or friends the need for physical and emotional healing even after an ectopic pregnancy um, even after a very very early loss of a pregnancy is important especially before trying for another pregnancy Having babies isn't easy on us, right? So I just wanted to say that here to anybody out there that's listening that's had an ectopic pregnancy or knows someone that hasn't had an ectopic pregnancy. It's not that simple. Oh, ectopic, get rid of it, try again. You know, there's there's a grieving period to that, all right? So that's it here. Thank you guys for listening to Four Vaginas Only. I hope you learned a little bit about ectopic pregnancies. I hope you can... Take what you've learned here, bring it back to your physician, your doctor's office, talk about what might be right for you, what might be wrong for you, but just to make sure that you have all the knowledge in your tool belt to ask the right questions. That is my purpose here, okay? So thank you guys so much for listening. For Vaginas Only, you can catch me on Instagram. You can also catch me on Facebook. You can also go to fourvaginasonly.com, listen to the podcast there, interact with me there. Send me messages, either DM me on on IG or email me as well. Like I always tell people, I try to remind you, I cannot answer personal medical questions because I'm not your doctor. I don't know everything about you. And if I tried to answer a question without knowing everything, I'd be doing you a disservice. So I can only really answer general questions or questions related directly to the podcast. But I still love talking to you guys. I love hearing your stories. And you kind of give me ideas for new podcast episodes and for new things to read, for new things to become knowledgeable about, because I never claim to know everything. So I hope to talk to you guys very soon and to catch you on the next episode of Four Vaginas Only. Bye-bye.